Hey everyone, Joe Graves here. Welcome to Central City Church's podcast, Central City Podcast, and uh, glad to have you uh, with us and um, excited to uh, be able to share a couple of things. Today, uh, on Sunday, we, sh- we announced this uh, new initiative that we're launching. Our-, our church is moving into a new season, and so um, I'm going to include uh, that part of the announcements in today's podcast. And then uh, the sermon today is actually coming from our very own Delaney Ray, who's the small group hospitality small group and hospitality coordinator, and so be sure, uh, she did a great uh, sermon on grief, and uh, as we see Jesus experiencing grief at the death of Lazarus, and then um, because I wasn't preaching, I offered to uh, uh, share a poem, so I have a poem I wrote around grief, and uh, I was real nervous to share it. So anyways, it's always great to hear from you if you're listening to the podcast. Um, uh, I I love when I get messages, emails, texts, whatever, from people um, uh, with their thoughts. That, that really helps us be more than just a uh, one-sided conversation. So if you're listening and you want to get more connected to Central City Church, uh, there's lots of ways to do that. You can go to our website to learn more about some of our different ways, including uh, small groups and volunteer opportunities and where you can give. And when people give, we're able to do things like this. So we encourage you to consider that. And with that, uh, check out uh, a little bit of announcements, uh, a poem, and then a sermon by Delaney. Here it is. My last announcement is uh, we're uh, entering into a new season of our church, and uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about is this new initiative called the Lazarus Initiative. I'm just going to kind of briefly introduce it today, and we're going to be talking about it a lot uh, in the in the coming days. But um, we're really kind of thinking about what it means for us to experience resurrection life in three areas of our church, uh, in, in, in our church. Um, and really, we're in the process, and we have been for a while, in conversations around merging with St. Luke's. And we're starting to think about this merger. St. Luke's is the building we're in, and they have a service at 11 o'clock. We're, we're merging with this, and we're going to become a new church. And we don't know what that church is going to be called yet. We don't, but one thing we do know from experience is a new church that's only been around for six years. Um, when you become new, uh, God's able to do new things. And so we really think this new season of uh, later this summer when we merge, it becomes something new. It's going to be a great opportunity to reach new people in new ways. Uh, we'll really be... We'll, be throwing some community events and a variety of other stuff. So we're going to talk about ways for you to get involved, ways for you to support that and volunteer. We're also looking to continue to expand our children's ministry. Um, what Molly does downstairs is phenomenal, and we love Molly. We're looking to bring on uh, another uh, a very part-time uh, contractor role to help with the nursery as well as just being assisted to Molly so we can continue to serve more families. And then we're, we, we want to experience resurrection life with our neighbors. And so we're looking at piloting a new program that I briefly introduced last week. We're, uh, I'm particularly passionate about this and I'm inviting the church to come along with me. Um, but I've been uh, involved in a citywide initiative to reduce group and gun violence in Columbus, which has become a bit of an epidemic in our city. And this is a cross-platform. So many different agencies are involved, and there's a part for our church to play as well. Um, what we know about violence is that it's cyclical, that it's, it's, it happens with a lot of the same people are involved in it, and we want to step in with the love of Christ and break that violence uh, by uh, with love and compassion. And one of the things that we're going to offer to this greater work, and I'll explain all this more as we work on this, but um, is uh, raising some money so that we can show up into the lives of people impacted by violence. And it might be covering their funeral expenses. It might be offering a catered meal so they could grieve the loss of a loved one. Um, uh, or it might be paying their utilities for a month. Whatever is going to 
be meaningful to people who are experiencing violence in the city. So it's going to be, uh, I know some people, uh, I've had some conversations like, oh, that makes me really nervous. Um, that's okay. You can be nervous. Um, it's good to be nervous. But uh, as, the, as people who uh, follow the crucified Christ, we have a special calling to love people who have been impacted by violence. And it's going to be a great way to, for us to make a tangible difference in the city. So resurrection life for our church and our children and our neighbors is something we're going to be talking a lot about. Um, we'll have some meetings about it and we'll talk about it in worship. So I just want to kind of start planting some seeds. Be on the lookout for this. Uh, we're going to continue our s- series today on Jesus's emotions. I'm going to move this for a second. I need it. And um, uh, we've been in the uh, habit each week of, of, of having someone share a poem. And we have the privilege of having Delaney preach for us today. Delaney's our small group and hospitality coordinator. So Delaney, excited about that. But because uh, <laughs> I'm getting nervous now, because she was preaching and I'm not, uh, I offered to read a poem, which is uh, something I do often. And uh, (laughs) I'm much more comfortable preaching. But uh, so uh, thanks to Travis and Avery for helping give me some feedback on this one. Uh, It's a little poem I wrote on, uh, on grief. And then afterwards, we'll invite Delaney to come share. Let's take a breath. The little synapses in my brain won't connect the dots between who I know you to be and what happened to you because the dot that was you isn't here anymore. How do you make something make sense of something that's incapable of rational thought? Is that what grief is, a lake of chaos into which we are thrust? A lake in a dream without swimming lessons, and I wail and push, but I can't breathe underwater. All I can do is reach for the surface where you're crouching over the ledge of the dock, but I can't reach you anymore because you are no more. And I'm stuck in the muck and dirt with water lilies, roots wrapping around my ankles, and I can't breathe. I know you're the one who died, so why does it feel like I am? I turn towards the service, and I can see the shore where everyone moves on with their lives like it never happened, eating their snacks and watching their shows and enjoying their board games and friends and books, but I can't find the energy to pull air into my lungs and back out through my mouth and through the reflections. I can see you, but I can no longer make out your face. I wish you had never been in my life. No, that's not true. I, I just thought if nothing good happened when we were together, I wouldn't be feeling so bad now, which makes me wonder, is the bad I feel now some kind of twisted and dark testimony about the good we once shared? Like grief is love with nowhere to go. I, I remember hearing that somewhere. So yeah, I, I loved what we did and who we were, all that we were able to accomplish when we were sitting in chairs, laughing at everything that was wrong in the world because we were the only ones who knew how to bring it back together. So why can't you help me put it back together now? And I miss you. And I always feel the loss of your presence in my life. No, not just in my life, in this world. This world is not the same without you. So I hold on to your memory as one last place where your presence lingers, grabbing the mist that floats above the lake in the early morning hours when the air is cool and the water warm, where I pull myself to the surface and learn to breathe again. Thank you. I guess it's my turn, huh? <laughs> well, a little too high. Um, if I haven't gotten the chance to meet you yet, my name is Delaney, as my mom named me, so she already knows that. <laughs> um, but let's just take a second and breathe while I get this iPad on. <laughs> 
So in this series, we're talking about emotions that Jesus felt. Um, and it's in preparation for Easter through the Lenten journey. And when I think about Jesus feeling emotions, that really helps me a lot because I've got some big feelings. Just ask my husband that. <laughs> I, um, I, I think as humans, we all really work hard not to show our emotions to each other. Unfortunately, that's not really helpful. And especially on the topic of grief, which is what I'll be talking about today, which has been a huge undertaking to be able to talk to you about. In my life, in fact, I'm positive in all of our lives, we have experienced grief. I mean, COVID, I mean, come on. COVID was crazy. There was so much grief through that. Um, not just with people, but just grief of our lives and things going on. There was a lot of sad stuff that started to happen, and I started to experience real grief in my life for the first time as an adult during those times in 2020. I experienced a lot of sadness for about two years, and I became well acquainted with grief. Unfortunately, grief became a friend. So I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to tell you all a story about what happened to me. Um, there's a lot <laughs> with this story, and I have totally broke it down to be a short story so that I'm just not talking about it the whole time. Um, this was a huge change in, in the way that of the character that I saw what church was supposed to be, and now again of how I see church now. Um, so here's the story. Um, it's about my old church, the last church that I was at. And in my life, I've always loved church. I've always loved ministry. I felt called specifically to be a part of a church. And that church specifically that I was at, the mission was a seeker church. So appealing for everybody, everyone's welcome. And I loved that idea and I became to become very involved. I was a part of the leadership team. I really saw myself grow and flourish there. I was a small group leader. I was on the media team. Really, I just did anything that anyone needed help with, honestly. In the midst of all of these good memories and amazing lifelong friendships that were made, I experienced grief. Um, someone very close to me passed away, and I began to spiral out of control after that happened. I suffered from depression and just was really sad, and everyone that was around me, like they saw that I was sad, but they didn't really ask why or they didn't really care that much. Um, and so because I felt like the people in my church did not care about me experiencing grief, I chose to cope in a way that was really hard. And then the leadership decided that the way I chose to cope was not fit for me to be a leader in their church. When I walked into that meeting where I would be faced with this news, I had no idea what they were going to tell me when I walked into that church. I had no idea what was going to happen. I walked in, and the, as soon as I walked in, the whole building felt cold. Everything felt sterile. It literally felt like I was in a hospital. The church that I felt so loving and like everyone loved me and we were all happy and friends, everything felt cold from the fluorescent lights to the gray floors. I felt as though I was being punished for the way that I was grieving. That was what that meeting was, being punished for the way I chose to cope with my issues. From that day forward, I could not make myself enjoy going to church. I could not make myself okay. And just from that day forward, I could not make myself okay. 
Any mention of grief in a person's life will solicit unwanted and tumultuous emotions that we typically choose not to talk or think about on a day-to-day -day basis. Yet, if we do not search to find healing and wholeness in the face of grief in our lives, we continue to run from all the hard things. The pain becomes worse, and the loss will start to be, feel bigger. There does not seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel to get through this grief. And to get through it, we need a support system. Usually that support is gonna come from relationships, fr family, friends. During this time, I felt like only two people actually cared about me. Everyone else just completely turned their back because it's just a little bit too much. So Jesus knew that Mary and Martha needed a friend when they were grieving over the death of their brother, Lazarus. But of course, unfortunately, he didn't show up in time. And he was not able to save Lazarus from dying. So I'm going to let, we're going to read this passage together. Um, it might be small, but no worries, because I'm going to be reading it. Um, it's from N.T. Wright's translation, so um, it's going to kind of little, sound a little bit like the message. Um, so just take a breath. I'm going to get a drink, and then we'll read. There was a man in Bethany named Lazarus, and he became ill. Bethany was the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This was Mary who anointed the Lord with myrrh and wiped his feet with her hair. Lazarus, who was ill, was her brother. So the sisters sent messengers to Jesus. Master, they said, the man that you love is ill. When Jesus got the message, he said, this illness won't lead to death. It's all about the glory of God, the Son of God who will be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he stayed where he was to begin with for two days. Why? I just, when I read that, I was like, why? <laughs> but it, it said, I read something that said Jesus was not on human timelines or expectations. This is going to absolutely make no sense to us, but of course he had a plan. Verse 7, then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. Teacher, replied the disciples, the Judeans were trying to stone you just now. Surely you don't want to go back there. There are 12 hours in the day, aren't there, replied Jesus. If you walk in the day, you won't trip up because you'll see the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, they will trip up because there is no light in them. That's so good. When he had said this, Jesus added, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. Master, replied the disciples, if he's asleep, then he'll be all right. <laughs> they thought he was referring to ordinary sleep, but Jesus had, in fact, been speaking of his death. Then Jesus spoke to them plainly. Lazarus, he said, is dead. Actually, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sakes, because it'll help your faith. Let's go to him. Lazarus' death was another occasion for the revelation of Jesus to the disciples. Thomas, whose name was the twin, addressed the other disciples. Let's go too, he said. We may as well die with him. So when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Judeans had come to Mary and Martha to count, console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus had arrived, she went to meet him. Mary, meanwhile, stayed sitting at home. Master, said Martha to Jesus, if only you'd been here, then my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that I will not, that God will not give you what you asked for. Martha's words contain both complaint and confidence in the face of death. 
Your brother will rise again, says Jesus. Jesus supplies no time frame from which this would take place, and Martha probably thought that he meant sooner than what he was saying. I know he will rise again, said Martha, but in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even then they will die. And anyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? Yes, master, she said. This is what I have come to believe, that you are Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. With those words, Martha went back and called his sister Mary. The teacher has come, she said to her privately, and he's asking for you. When she heard that, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus hadn't gotten to the village yet, and he was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Judeans, Judeans who were in the house with Mary consoling her, they saw her get up and go out. They guessed that maybe she was going to the tomb to weep there, and they followed her. When Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell down on his feet. Master, she said, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Complaint. When Jesus saw that she was crying, the Eugenians came over her crying, and he was deeply stirred in her spirit and very troubled. And then, when Mary saw her crying, Jesus burst into tears. So I'm stopping the story here. How many of you know how the story ends? Usually when we talk about this passage, we always end up with the resurrection. But today, I'm leaving us stuck in the tension of Lazarus still being dead. Jesus was crying because he felt this tension too. He could identify with this emotion just the same way as humans do. The tension here is complaint and confidence. And, where, and that's where you live when you're grieving. Other words for complaint include objection, grievance, not only with God, but with the expectations of what, the, of what that thing, we wanted that thing to be, that person, the circumstance. Because grieving is something that happens not only when someone dies, but just in our lives in general. I had to grieve when I had to leave my church, when I left my job, but certainly the it's certainly more also the circumstances that we grieve and not only when we lose a person. A lot of people only associate grief with losing a loved one, but it's important to know that there's more to grief than that. Now we're gonna get psychological up in here. <laughs> so science has shown us that a person goes through five stages of grief. Now, I'm, you, most of you know that I'm not a psychological professional. If I wanted a psychological professional, I'd have Avery come up here. <laughs> but I found these stages in some brief Googling on some websites that any, literally anyone can do. For more personalized information, please see a medical professional or a therapist. Today I'm gonna to be using the Kubler-Ross model of the five stages. This is the most important and well-known I'm sorry, this is the most well-known psychological research on grief and the way that it manifests in us. Now these stages don't go in any particular order and it doesn't matter how long you may feel like you're in a certain stage. Some people, including myself, do not even go through every stage and others will go through the first four stages numerous times. Every person is different, every situation is different. And I know right now as I'm talking about grief, you're thinking of somebody that you may have grieved. I'm gonna invite you guys, before I go through all of them, to take a breath and a moment to center yourself. Talking about these details of grief may process a memory for you and that's okay. You're welcome to step out if you feel uncomfortable, if you need tissues, there's plenty in the pews. Um, but I'm, just, I'm actually gonna pray right here because I feel like this is gonna get a little deep. So pray with me. 
God, I just thank you for this time that we can learn about you and read about you. And I pray that you give me the wisdom to speak about grief um, in a way that is of you and uh, with confidence. And I pray that people can learn something through this. And I just thank you so much for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, Tim, can we pull up that picture? Okay. I thought this was kind of silly, but so the first stage that we go through um, in grief typically, or just sometimes it comes later, is denial. We don't want the situation to be true, and we'll fight and we do everything we can to tell her, ourselves that it's not. Denial is the coping mechanism that kicks into gear when the emotions are too much for us to handle. So much to handle that it doesn't even seem real. Therefore, we just deny it. Kubler-Ross says that we choose not to live in actual reality, rather you're living in a preferable reality. The longer that you push past the true emotions, they will eventually come up when you least expect it. Mary and Martha wanted to deny the death of their brother because they thought that Jesus would come through before he even died. If only you had been here, they said, and Jesus still didn't get there in time. <clears throat> The next stage is anger. <laughs> My therapist always tells me that anger is a secondary emotion for something else that we're inevitably feeling. Joe talked about anger last week, and I feel like he did a really good job. If you'd like to go back and listen to that sermon, um, a lot of people really enjoyed that because I think that anger, for most people, is the first thing that we go to. Everything, for me personally, everything always wants to make me throw a fit and scream, and that's like, anger is like my first emotion that I always go to. Every negative emotion. I think many people have this in common because we want to be heard, helped, and understood. If we do not feel like we're receiving these things in our grief, anger is gonna be our go-to. We may begin to feel guilty or blame ourselves in the situation. This can also start to make us angry, angry with ourselves and the people in our lives. Mary and Martha probably felt angry that Jesus was denying the fact that their brother was already gone. They may have felt that way, or maybe they just were upset because they thought that he should have been there sooner. Next stage, bargaining. This stage, I believe, happens specifically more with believers, but it could happen to anybody. People also tend to bargain with their loved ones because they feel helpless and out of control, but many people bargain with God. If I do this, then you won't take this person or this situation that I love and care about. Bargaining, or you can bargain with yourself, making yourself feel like everything is okay, making up what-if situations to postpone the real feelings that you actually need to feel. And another stage is depression, and I think that this stage is the deep sadness that we feel that encompasses all of the stages altogether. Depression is what caused me personally to spiral into any of these stages, and this is the stage that I was personally stuck in for a really long time. It's the most recognizable and associated with grief, and it can be the most painful. Once the specific stages work through, we can often find to start to find healing. And the final stage is acceptance. So, Acceptance, I feel like it does not come very quick, like how I just went through all of these points. It's not, it's not like a PowerPoint lesson. You know, you have to go through a lot of things in order to get to acceptance. Um, you're still going to feel the pain of loss, 
And sometimes it's in the most unexpected moments of your day. You have to come to the conclusion that it's real and that you're no longer trying to use your own power and resources to change the fact that you're grieving something. Mary and Martha experienced grief, no doubt about that. They knew that Jesus was also experiencing grief and he could have changed things for them instantly. Again, Jesus was not on human timelines and expectations for Mary and Martha, and he isn't on a timeline with us either. That's something that I personally still struggle with to understand about God. How does he know grief, but still he's not on our timeline? It's like he's outside of our struggle, but beautifully he's in our struggle with us as well. Let's remember that even though Jesus was fully God and he knew he was going to call Lazarus out of the grave in just a few minutes, he still wept and he still grieved. Even though he knew that Lazarus would not stay dead, he still cried those hot tears of painful loss. This translation says that he literally burst into tears. That's quite an image to think about. It suggests a loss of control over one's emotions, which is definitely not how we imagine Jesus to be on a day-to-day basis but it helps us understand how important it is to grieve with ourselves and give ourselves the space to do so. Jesus was the perfect human, and yet the example he gave to us often of being a human includes grieving, being sad, crying. Church, it's okay to grieve. Everything inside of us is telling us that it's not. I mean, I don't know what it is. I feel like it has a lot to do with America, honestly. We all just, you know, lace up our bootstraps and try to keep going, um, but really, like, our insides are telling us that we have to stop. Um, It makes us feel gross, but the truth is that grief is imposed on us, just like on Ash Wednesday when we do the ashes. Like, that is an example of grief and death being imposed on us. Every single person is going to die. We all have to face that. When we're faced with grief, we come to Jesus with complaint. Why? Why does it have to be this way? Why do we have to lose a thing? But the acceptance part is where we begin to experience confidence in Jesus, just like Mary and Martha. But what does that really look like? You know, we can go through all this. We can talk about all the stages. We can talk about saying acceptance is when we're going to find healing. But what does that actually look like in our day-to-day lives? The real question is, How do we practically become confident in Jesus? That will provide the answer we want amidst grief, amidst loss, and pain. The acceptance of grief often leaves us in this place of feeling stuck in between the complaint and the confidence. When I experienced my own grief, I was really stuck in this place of, I kept telling myself, like, it's not that bad. Like, you're actually fine. Everything's okay. You don't know that person that well. You don't need to grieve them that much. But those false narratives in my head were just not helping me. They only hurt me more. There came a point in my grief where I had to shut off my own thoughts and my words and fill my mind with the truth of the matter, and that is what God has to say. This is where the confidence part comes in. We have to believe that Jesus means what he says, and he really does hear us, and he really does love us, and that's really it. In the midst of my grief, when I heard someone say that to me, I was like, no, that sounds so stupid and annoying because I'm stuck. I feel really stuck in pain and hurt and despair and crying and I can't get out of my bed. And Jesus loves me, that's it? Wow, thanks. Like, that's so helpful. No, 
we always put limitations on God. We say, what if, or but, or no, that can't be it. But actually, church, yes, that is it. No, yes, Jesus does love you, and that's actually really just it. I know this might sound really like a meaningless platitude that we read on a mug at a Christian bookstore, and our culture has taken these meaningful statements and made them really lifeless, like what I was mentioning earlier. Grief is hard. When we change the narrative in our heads to just be his love, we will begin to see that the uncertainty of all of our questions and everything under the sun, it's his love that really matters in the end. Listen closely to this. The uncertainty is our certainty. Wow, when I learned that, I um, was like so confused. <laughs> like you really have to live in the uncertainty to make everything make sense. The uncertainty is our certainty. You have to accept that you're human and that you don't understand God. That was my moment of acceptance of my own grief, saying like, okay, like I don't understand any of this. I spent so much of my life, so much of my college career trying to understand God. It's not gonna happen, guys. It's just not. You can't understand God. We're just humans. I hope the same can be true for you all in knowing that you also can't understand God. So you may be wondering now, well, what happened? Are you still grieving? Yes, of course, I'm still grieving. And yes, I've found a beautiful church church family. I have a happy ending. I mean, I'm here. Come on. <laughs> but Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And we want people to believe that we live on this side of the resurrection. I believe that you all know the end of my story, losing a church family and now gaining a new one. I have way more than I've ever asked for with my family here at Central. And I, it, this church is crazy, you guys. Like, seriously. <laughs> you know. This church is crazy. Like, it's not like anything that I've ever experienced in my life. Um, I could literally, like, lay down on the floor right now and tell Joe that I can't preach anymore. And he'd be like, all right, well, I'll, I'll get up there. Um, I'm sorry. No. Um, I feel like I went really fast. I have one more thing, one more thing. Um, so before we wrap up, um, we were talking about grieving as a community with the gun violence here in Columbus. There are many deaths as a result of violence right here in the city. This and, and, um, unfortunately happens to many impoverished families. There is an opportunity for here for us to get involved like Joe was talking about. And I think it kind of fit perfectly with my sermon because these people are in so much grief. They're losing their babies, they're losing their kids, they're losing their family. And as a church, we can do something about that. We can help them. And then for you all personally, if you need mental health resources or books on grief, please let me know. I can get you in touch with somebody that can help you, or I can send you a recommended reading list, just like Christy did for her sermon series. So grief is never easy, but community always makes it better. We also have a mental health fund for people that can't afford counseling therapy or if they just need help in any way, like we want to be there for you and help you. So, yeah, I'll pray. Thank you, God, for this time together and just who we are and, you know, what, what, we, what we have done here to be with you, God. And 
I just, I pray for every single person in this room and just the pain that they have felt, the grief that they've experienced in their lives. And I just pray that you be with them and that you love them and show them your grace. In your name we pray, amen.